And so I want us to have a time just to consider this passage, this really fat passage in Mark's Gospel. I want you to imagine that you're looking at a river. Um, bear with me with this. So imagine I'm on one side of the river. This is my bank. And I'm going to get across to the other bank. And how am I going to get across the other bank? Well, there's going to be these very large rocks, and I'm going to jump onto one rock to another. Have you ever done that? Probably to just a kid. Yes, he's done that. It's this idea of, I want to tra traverse the, the um, terrain of water, and I've got to do it safely, and I'm going to end up on the other side. That's the image I had when I read through this. It's <clears throat> when Mark wrote the gospel, uh, he was had a purpose in mind, and I presume the purpose from Murray is he wants to take us on a journey of understanding. He wants us to move from the shore of not knowing who Jesus was to the shore of I've got a grasp on who this Jesus is. And it's this journey which he takes us on. For many of us, we've already made that journey. Many of us have been on one shore and journeyed across and said, yeah, I, I have an understanding of who Jesus is now. I embrace him as he has embraced me. I've made that journey, but I found it invigorating to go back to the journey and to consider what Mark is saying to me about my faith. The idea that it's a spiritual faith. It's a faith beyond our normal reality. It's a faith of hope. It's not a faith of rules. It's not a, you know, I believe in a Christian, I'm a Christian, so I'll tell you what I don't do. I hate that type of expression of faith. It's so negative and critical. <clears throat> Rather than this exciting sense that God is here and present with, with his people. Such a profound and simple statement, isn't it, when Jesus says that when two or three are gathered together in his name, he is with them. It's this, our faith opening to us to a beyond natural reality. Mark starts in this passage, and he really sums up the entire story. Remember, there's four of these stories in the New Testament, these Gospels, these proclamations of good news. And they're really unusual in the history of literature. They're, they're stories of this one person, Jesus, but he's embedded in a historical context. And he's very in flesh, very real, and he's divine. And he sums up what he thinks about Jesus right at the start. He said the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And in a sense, that's the whole gospel message. The idea that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the long-for-awaited saviour of the Jewish nation, and he is the Son of God. And do we embrace that? And Mark then goes on this really rapid jump across the river and gives us stones to jump onto and says, this, look at this. Look at who Jesus is now. Look at who Jesus is now. Who 
Who do you think he is? The whole of the gospel rings with that question. Who do you think Jesus is? It's not a cheap question. It's this rich question, which is what we do actually all the time with each other, don't we? We engage with each other and we're constantly, not consciously, but we're constantly thinking, who is this person who is before me? Do do I get them? Do they not get me? And Mark drives us all the way through the gospel with this question, who is Jesus? And it comes out in chapter 8, finally, when Jesus says to his friends, who do you say I am? So we're going to start our journey. We're across our river, jump one <coughs> onto our first sign, which is um, Mark straight away jumps into a piece of writing which was 700 years old in the book of Isaiah. And he says, 700 years ago, Isaiah wrote about this one called John. Straight away, he, he kind of jumps us into deep water, doesn't he? Of, did, did that, is that true? That's incredible. How could someone write 700 years before the event about this person? But he dives us in. And jump two, we meet John, this very odd character who you either think uh, the Bible has uh, changed because they now give a view of people's couture and diet because we learn about John the Baptist, how he's dressed. He's in camel hair and he's got a leather belt around him. He's got the clothing of mourning But we don't read that because we're not Jewish in the first century, but that's what he was wearing. I'm in mourning for our sins before God. And I'm stripping myself of all pleasures. I'm just eating the wild fruit in the region of wild honey and locusts. And the whole of the Judean countryside come out to greet him. And what they do is extraordinary. They publicly confess their sins, not privately, publicly. And then he says, I'm going to give you a, a, a symbolic bathing in water, and he dunks them in the water, and they come out, and there's this act of will, I, I want a new start. What are they going out to see? Well, presumably, they saw John the Baptist as a, a rabbi, a teacher, or a prophet. Someone actually spoke the words of God. And John the Baptist, as impressive as he is, says it's not about me. It's about the one I'm pointing to. And you will have seen, undoubtedly, um, pictures of John the Baptist. And he's always got this finger up. And he's pointing. And there's a million of these paintings around the world. And the artists have all got the idea, yeah, John points beyond himself to Jesus. And he says, I'm not even worthy to untie this guy's shoes. Now in the first century, if you were following a rabbi, you'd do virtually anything for them except take their shoes off. That was seen as, no, no, we don't do that. That's too low. But John the Baptist says, no, I'm even, I will untie them. I'm not even worthy to untie this guy's shoes. And so we, we, we're jumping across the river, and what is, is uh, John the Baptist saying, and what is Mark saying? Who is this character, Jesus, who 
is better than John. And it reaches a crescendo, and this is a little phrase that really caught me. When John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's very easy to get the idea that Christianity somehow is an act of will. I'm going to do this. And we have the language around it of things like, oh, he's really committed. As if it's like committed to going to the gym. But John the Baptist says, no, 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 I'm talking about God not just changing you, washing you clean externally, but by the Holy Spirit. This, this is a spiritual movement. When we do the greeting of the peace, we don't stand up and say, we're Christians, we don't do da 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 no, no, so we, we have the spirit within us. It's a, a profound moment, isn't it, of recognizing something's changed within us because of God, not because of us. It's this transformation that he is talking about. And I want us to, to meditate, really, I suppose, in the following week with this idea that isn't this extraordinary what has happened that Christianity is a spiritual movement, a, a transformative movement. Okay, John, another stone. <clears throat> what happens then? Uh, Jesus arrives on the scene. Jesus then is baptized. <clears throat> another stone. The heavens open and there's this disembodied voice saying, this is my son, with him I'm well pleased. It pushes us, doesn't it? As it would have pushed the people in the first century. Is this real? For if it's real, who does that say Jesus is? In the 19th and 20th century, there was a group of people in the church, mainly in Europe, but it led throughout many parts of the church, which said, let's just take out all the supernatural stuff. Let's take out all the miracles from Jesus and, and all this stuff of heaven's opening and resurrections and let's just get to Jesus as a lovely teacher. He's like a, a, a guy who does a great TED talk. But of course, you do that and you strip Jesus of who Jesus is. This mesh of human and divine who transforms us. Mark then jumps in, in really rapid succession. Jesus is baptized. Uh, he's then jumped another rock. Uh, he's taken by the Spirit into the wilderness. Uh, jump. What happens in the wilderness? Satan is there. Jump. Angels attend him. It's, it's not natural, is it? It's this idea that something happened 2,000 years ago where the, the, the physical and the spiritual came together in this moment of the Christ. It's, it's rapid-fire reality which is pushing the whole time, who is this Jesus? Who do I think he is? We don't really have time to digest it when we read through it, but we're pushing towards that question. 
Jesus then jumps to another one and he teaches in a synagogue. And they teach in a synagogue and say, it's not like anything we have ever heard. He teaches with authority. And yet they, they would have heard really great teachers week by week in the synagogue, but Jesus has got something different. And then he's in the synagogue, once again, the spiritual just breaks in. And this guy there, and he has a demon, he has evil spirits, and he's the only one of believe God. And Jesus suicides the spirits. We well, get only this afternoon, I'm in Hollywood films about the supernatural, don't we? Rather than this is the reality of being Christian, it's the spiritual and the material coming together. He goes then from the synagogue to Simon's house and across another thing. And Simon's mother-in-law is there. She's really sick. What does Jesus do? He heals her. People in the whole countryside then go, wow, we're going to visit, jump to another rock. All the countryside come out. And do you notice what's happening now? We've got this great cloud of witnesses. Jesus was embedded in history in a real time and place. And people said, yeah, we experienced this. When we're experiencing the reality of the history of Jesus, what we're experiencing is the reality of spirituality. That he came to do something beyond. Jesus is not just some lone rabbi, but he is the Christ. And finally, after all these things, there's a final jump before we get to the other side, which is Jesus wakes up really early one morning and goes off to pray. And that might not seem so significant, but I think that for us brings us in. Jesus is saying at that point in a really clear way, I believe in a God who intervenes. I believe in a God who hears. I believe in a God who is present. And he wakes up early in the morning to go and pray because prayer is a yes to a spiritual God. Prayer is a yes to a spiritual faith. Prayer is a yes to a spiritual Christianity. And finally we get on the other side of the bank and we look back and we have that question, who do I think Jesus is? Is he with me and I with him? Hopefully our little journey across this river has been a reminder to us that our faith is spiritual. Hopefully it's been a reminder to us if we are Christian, we have the Holy Spirit with us. We're not rule keepers, we're not people who follow a little list of ethics, but we've been people who've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Hopefully it's been some reminder that when we engage in our faith, we're engaging with something beyond us, which offers us hope. And hopefully it's been a reminder to pray the real God of the universe is with us. I'm that person. Father God, we praise you that you have transformed us by your spirit.
that you have come into our lives and that you have given us hope even in the midst of our brokenness and our moral failure. You are with us. Bless us with an assurance of your Spirit's presence in our life. Let us know Jesus and the power of his love. We pray this in his name.